0: Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 6. Today we will wrap up this uh, significant passage in John, this chapter, chapter 6, which got a lot of, uh, a lot of meat in this, a lot of bread. Huh. Yes, you're glad to have me back, aren't you? I'm going to read verses 59 through the end of the chapter. Please listen as is appropriate for God's word. These things he said in the synagogue, speaking of Jesus, as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing." The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father." As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So read the words of the living God. Well, it's good to be back with you. Uh, We've been gone the last couple of weeks, as, as you know. Two weeks ago, we were with the Ignite group. And that was a great time, as always. What a what a wonderful group that is! And uh, get up in the mountains and spend some time together, and uh, just really encouraging. Krista and I got to go for I think ten years in a row now, or something like that. Uh, and then last week we were in St. Louis uh, for my niece's wedding, and that was a delightful time to see her get married. But it's always good to come home. You know, this this is our home. We've been here for twenty years plus, and uh, and not only is Colorado Springs our home, but this church is our family, and we miss you guys when we're gone, and we love you, and it's, it's great to be back here. And I, I was reflecting on this uh, passage and thinking about this morning and realizing, you know, to be in the same church for 20 years, uh, first of all, it's pretty rare today, but secondly, uh, it's, it's tough at times. Um, you guys know all my stories, you know all my jokes, you know everything I'm going to say, uh, and so the only re- way to keep my ministry going is to bring new people in, send some of you away and bring new people in. Uh, at least bring new people in. And thinking about uh, how many of you, as I look around the auditorium, how many of you have been here for the 20 years that I've been here, it's a pretty high number, actually, as well as, as new folks. And I think, thinking back to my ministry, you know, for 20 plus years, week after week after week, my job has been to teach, to stand up in front of a group of people and proclaim truth. And I have noticed that there are a variety of responses to my teaching. There are some of you and others over the years who have been very encouraging. Thank you so much. You've changed my life. This is great. Uh, Others who kind of go, what in the world are you talking about? Uh, And that's probably my fault as I teach our students. If the students don't learn, then the teacher didn't teach, and we have to bear the responsibility of that. There are some, though, who don't come to our church, don't belong to our church anymore because they didn't like what I was saying. And they've moved on somewhere else. And I thought, you know, that, we're all kind of like that at times. We gravitate toward those teachers who we like, and especially if they say what we want to hear. But when somebody starts teaching what we don't want to hear, then maybe we say, I'm going to go find another teacher. We, we've probably all done that at some level in our, in our lives. Uh, Krista and I watched last night a, a documentary on a, a magician who was called the, the Amazing Randy. You might know who The Amazing Randy was. Three, Two of uh, One of you. Okay. Uh, well, I didn't know who he was either. Uh, apparently, he was amazing at one point, and uh, he, he was a, an illusionist, kind of in the Houdini uh, uh, genre. But after he got too old to get out of the uh, the water... Filled pot in which he, he couldn't get out because he broke a couple vertebrae and almost died, almost drowned. And after that episode, he decided, you know what, I'm done with this. Uh, I, I, I can't do this anymore. He began to expose other artists, so to speak, other con men, not magicians, but there was one guy in particular whose name was uh, Yuri Geller. Anybody know who Yuri Geller is? A few more of you know who that is. Anybody ever send money to Yuri Geller? He was a he he was a psychic and he was convincing people that he could bend spoons with just his mental power and he could move objects with just his mental power and people were giving money to this guy and and uh uh, James McDonald, part of McDonnell Douglas, uh, which was a kind of a contractor like uh, Lockheed uh, Martin, Lockheed Martin. Is it Lockheed Martin? Um, this guy in St. Louis paid uh, half a million dollars, I think, to do this investigation, this scientific investigation around this psychic, and seeing can we capture some of this power and use it. And the amazing uh, uh, Randy looked at that and said, "It's not psychic. It's just a trick." And he exposed this guy, and, and it turned out there was a whole group of people that now turned on the amazing Randy because they wanted so desperately to believe that the psychic power was real. And when it was exposed to be something as a fraud, they turned on him instead of the one who was conning them out of their money. And he exposed a, uh, a preacher, too. Uh, what was his name? Popoff? Was that his name? Remember that guy? A uh, faith healer, knocking people over, and, and he discovered, Randy discovered that he had a little, little receiver in his ear, and his wife was saying, oh, it's so-and-so, and here's her address, and here's her problem, and uh, that's how he was duping these people. And, and Randy uh, exposed this, and people turned on him because he exposed this fraud who was taking their money. It's like we can be so committed to what we want that when some leader, some teacher speaks out against what we want, we say, we don't want to listen to you anymore, we're going to walk off and, uh, and, and find somebody that will say what we want to hear. And of course, the Apostle Paul says this will go on throughout the entire church age. Well, we're going to find here that Jesus has a group of people following him that don't like what he's saying, and so they, they leave. Actually, it gives me lots of, lots of comfort when people leave, <laughs> at least in that sense. I'm like Jesus sometimes. So he's, he's talking uh, in the synagogue at this point. We, we've seen this transition. He's out and uh, speaking to the tens of thousands, at least 20,000 people, uh, and, and they keep following him He keeps teaching, and now he ends up in the synagogue, but some of those same people in Capernaum. And his disciples respond to these last words he's saying, and they say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? When it says this is a difficult statement, they're not saying this is hard to understand. The word means it's harsh. It's a harsh statement. What you're saying, Jesus, we don't like it. It, it, it hits us in a place where we say, I, I don't know if I, if I want to receive that or not. So I jotted down some of the things that Jesus has been saying just to refresh our memory from the earlier passage. Here's some of the hard or difficult things that Jesus has been teaching. He told them, You don't seek me because you believe I'm the Son of Man. You seek me because I give you food. Remember that? He feeds. The thousands with a few loaves and fishes, not even enough to to satisfy uh, one or two people, much less 20,000, and yet he multiplies that food and feeds them all, and now they're following him. And Jesus stops them and says, you're not following me because you really believe I've been sent by God as the Son of Man. You're following me because I gave you what you wanted. You think anybody ever does that today? Does anybody ever come to Jesus because he might you know, just make me so happy, he might make me physically well, he might solve all of my problems? Sometimes preachers, in order to draw big crowds, present this Jesus that meets everyone's felt needs. But then they come to find out later that's not really who Jesus is. Jesus says, you're just following me because of what I'm giving you, not because you truly believe. The signs that I'm doing You don't actually believe what they signify, that I'm the son of man. He said to them, the work of God is that you believe in his son. He's talking to people who want to work and earn something before God. They want to be good enough. They want to feel like they are obedient and God is pleased with them because of their obedience. And Jesus says, you don't understand the work of God. That's not going to get it. You can't do enough good works to get it before God. This is the work of God. This is what he is requiring of you. Believe in Jesus. Follow Christ. He says that about himself. This is the work. Believe in me. He said, you will no longer hunger or thirst if you come to me, if you believe in me. Which the implication of that is if you still have this deep longing in your soul, if you're not satisfied, if you're always thinking about, there's gotta be something more, then you haven't come to him. If you're in a constant state of inner turmoil, you're not believing in him, you haven't come to him. For these people who are hungering and thirsting for something more, Jesus says, If you feed on me, all that goes away. If you're still striving after something, you don't believe in me. You haven't come to me. He says, you have seen me, yet you do not believe. You've seen me Raise the dead. You've seen me do all kinds of crazy miracles that are not unexplainable. You've seen me raise up this lame man, a man who'd been lame for almost 40 years. Uh, you saw me feed the 5,000. All these things I've done, and yet you still don't believe. They didn't like to hear that. He said, on the last day, I will raise all whom the Father gives to me, but you can't come to me unless he gives you to me. That was a hard one. He's going to say it again in our passage today. All these Jews following him, and Jesus says, look, everyone the Father gives to me, all those he puts in my hand, I will raise every one of them up on the last day. You all think you can just come. You can't unless the Father draws you. So the implication of what he said earlier, you haven't come to me, Implication is the Father hasn't drawn you. He says, I have come down from heaven. No one has seen the Father except me. He says to these Jewish folks, you you think you've got it all figured out. You've got Moses. You've got your own teachers. None of those guys have been to heaven. I actually came down to you from heaven. No one else can truly tell you what God is like except me. Because I'm from there. I came from heaven. He said, only those who come to me and believe in me will have the everlasting life or eternal life. You all think you have it because of your works, because of your tradition, all this. No, no, you have to come to me and only to me to have eternal life. He quoted from Isaiah, which Eric covered last week. The prophets wrote this, all will be taught of God. The prophets, Isaiah particularly, talked about this day when every one of God's people would be taught by God. Jesus quotes that, all will be taught of God, and he says to these people, if you have been taught by the Father, you will come to me. All of you who are rejecting me, that indicates you have not been taught by God. They think they have, they proclaim that they have, Jesus says, no, if you've been taught by the Father, you'd come to me. It says, I am the bread of life, the bread which I give will provide eternal life for believers. That bread that I'm giving is my flesh. And then the last one, if you want everlasting life, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they all went, ooh, right? And they said, this is hard. I don't like these things that you're saying. Who can obey this? Who can respond to this? Who, who can accept this? We don't like it. We don't want it. Do you ever come across anything that Jesus says or teaches or requires of you that you say, I don't particularly like that? Surely you read the Bible. And you come across those places and you think, ah, oh, this is uh, not sure. I'm not sure I want to go along with this. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Probably we all have a little bit of temptation every now and then to think, uh, "Is this really what he said? "Can I really stay here?" Certainly, these disciples had that experience, and Jesus knew it. He was conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. "I, I hate that verse. You know why? Because Jesus always knows when you grumble (laughs) and when I grumble. Even if you don't say it out loud, if it's just in your head, he knows you're grumbling. So don't grumble. He knows when you grumble. And this is Jesus' response Does this cause you to stumble? Does this cause you to trip and fall, what I'm telling you? That it's all about me? Do you have to follow me and believe in me and accept me and eat me? Does that cause you to fall over on your way to whatever path you're on? It says, what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What are you going to do with that? I'm telling you very simply, I have been sent from the Father to be the provider of eternal life, and you're stumbling over that? What will happen if someday you see me ascend into heaven itself? What are you going to do? It makes me think of the time when his disciples actually did see him ascend. Remember that? The disciples all gathered around, and he goes up into the air, and they're just staring there, staring at the sky until he's gone. And then the, the angels show up and say, Men of Galilee, what are you looking at? My first thought is, Did you see that? <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you saw somebody just fly up into the air like that and go away? Anybody? Of course they're going to stare. That's what you do when someone flies up into the air. At least I would. But what the angels are saying is, You should have known this was going to happen. He told you, He's got to go back to the Father. Get to work. Head back to Jerusalem and wait like he told you to. This should not surprise you. But even they, the the, the ones who were committed to him, were watching in, in somewhat disbelief, saying, Now what? Wait, Jesus died and he came back to life. This is great. And, and now he's left us again. Now what are we supposed to do? And they weren't cynics. Can you imagine what this crowd of skeptics and cynics would have done to see him depart like that? They would have started making some excuses, some reasons why, well, it's just a trick. Or sure, he abandons us when we really need him. What kind of God is that? What kind of of Messiah is that? They would have found some way to twist that around to say, we're not following him. That's how selfish their mindset was. What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. Now, this goes back to what he's been saying. He's talking about his his body. He says, you have to eat my flesh if you're going to have eternal life. And we look at that and we think that's just a very, very odd thing to say it would not have been nearly as odd to them as it is to us. And here's the reason why. Anybody have bacon this morning? Nobody had bacon. One person, you had bacon? The rest of your family didn't have bacon? Anybody else? Nobody had bacon? What's wrong with you people? I have so much to teach you. Well, if you had bacon like you should have had, you would, if you had lived in a different age, a different day, where you didn't go to the store and go to, the, go to that cold part of the store that has that see-through package and the the, hand, uh, and the bacon all sliced up for you, if that's not the age you lived in, but if you go back a few generations, where in order to have bacon for breakfast, you'd have to go out and get a pig and kill the pig to have bacon, you would be closer to their setting than ours. Anybody have sausage this morning? Beef sausage? Right? You, you, if you're going to have beef sausage in our day, you go to the frozen part of Costco and you get the big package of beef sausage. But closer to their day, you actually have to go out and kill the beef to get the beef. Sausage. You might have toast. You might have breakfast the morning. I mean, does anybody, have, does anybody <laughs> eat breakfast these days? If you had toast, right, you 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 twist the little tie and you open the little pa- package and you reach in and you pull out the sliced bread. I'm not sure what you gluten-free people do, but that's what that's what that's what we would do in our household. That's how we get toast, and you stick it in the thing, and, you know, ding, and it comes out of toast. If you go back a few generations, yet you can't just untie the tie and pull it out of the package. You have to make the dough, and what do you have to, what do you do to get the dough? What do you have to, where do you get the dough? Flour, back up a step. Wheat. What is the common denominator between wheat and pigs and cows? You grow it, and then you kill it. And chicken, that's right. (laughs) That's right. Excellent. Somebody's with us this morning. I wasn't going to say this, but it just provoked it. My, uh, my niece, not the one that got married last weekend, her, but her sister, one time when she was a little bitty girl, about his age, a little younger, uh, we were, uh, I wasn't actually there, but um, they were talking about how, maybe I was there, come to think of it, um, how they were talking about different animals, uh, you know, that die, and that we eat, the different animals, and she was about ready to bite into a hamburger, and she said, wouldn't it be funny if we ate cows? And then, and <laughs> chomped. Everything you eat, with the exception of the salt that you put on it, everything you eat was once living and is now dead. Everything we eat. When Jesus says, I'm going to give my flesh to feed you, they would not have thought it quite as outrageous as we do. Because they would have had a direct connection in their mind, everything we eat is flesh that was alive that now dies in order for me to eat it. What Jesus was saying is, I'm going to die for you. My death is going to bring life. But they still didn't understand it. Because it seems like every time Jesus taught, people confused the reality, the spiritual reality that he's teaching, they confuse that with the metaphor that he was using. Jesus here says, the flesh profits nothing. You are completely misunderstanding me. I'm not talking about actually eating my body. Like You know, here, you get the pinky, you get the ring finger, He could only feed so many, right? He he couldn't feed everybody in the synagogue with his body. He's saying, no, 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 you guys aren't listening. The flesh, eating my flesh, eating my actual flesh would profit you zero, in addition to it being great sin and really bad for everybody. That's, That's not the point. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. He's been saying this over and over again. Remember back to Nicodemus? This Jew comes out to see Jesus at night, and Jesus has a little dialogue with him, and he says to Nicodemus, if you are going to get into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And what does Nicodemus do? He says, how is that possible? How can I get back in my mom's womb? I'm way bigger than her now. I don't think she'd be okay with that. Jesus says, no, I'm not talking about that. You're staying here at the earthly metaphorical level. I'm talking about something of the Spirit. And that's what he says. Unless the Spirit gives you life, you have no life eternally. He comes to the woman at the well, remember? Woman at the well, and he says, this woman at the well, he says, I can give you water that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And she says, yes, Lord, yes, please give me that water so I don't have to keep coming here day after day in the heat to to, to draw out water. Yes, I want that. And she says, I'm not talking about the stuff you put in your mouth. I'm talking about the Spirit of God who can make it so that you don't hunger and thirst ever again for anything. You'll have eternal life. And here he is saying, look, you have to eat my body and drink my blood and you guys keep thinking I'm talking about flesh. No. It's the Spirit who gives life. He says, I've been telling you about me. The words I speak are Spirit and are life. Everything is about me, Jesus says. If you want everlasting life, if you want to live forever, you have to believe in me, you have to come to me. I'm the one sent from the Father. I'm the one from heaven. The flesh profits nothing. It's what the Spirit does. This is the promise back from Ezekiel 36. God says, in that new covenant, on, in that day, I will take out that old, hard heart of yours and replace it with one that wants to please me. If you are a Christian here today, do you realize God has done that for you? There was a time when you had a heart, not, not, not the flesh, the pl- flesh profits nothing, not the actual organ in the middle of your chest, or slightly off middle, uh, that the, the heart, the soul, the will, the desires, that part of you did not want to please Jesus, did not want to please God, only wanted to please whom? Say louder, whom? Yourself. All of us were born that way. We want to please me. I want to please me. I don't care what God says. That's who you were as well. And somewhere along the line in your life and in mind, God fulfilled his promise from Ezekiel 36, and his spirit came to you and did a work that only God can do. He changed your desires so that now you want to please him. That's what the Spirit can do. That's what the Spirit does. How does he do it? He introduces you to Jesus and works in your heart and your will to call out to Jesus. Jesus' words are spirit and our life. He transforms us by causing us to say, I do to Jesus and follow him. That's what Jesus says here. That's what he's done for you, for me. Yet, Jesus says, there are some of you who do not believe. He says, I'm not talking about my flesh. The Spirit gives life. I've spoken to you words of Spirit and life, but some of you do not believe. And John tells us, because Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, who would betray him. And Jesus, knowing that most of them in the group did not believe, he says, for this reason, I said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted from the Father. That may be the hardest thing in this whole chapter. Not hard to understand. It's plain English. But this is the phrase that causes people to walk away. Guard your heart here. Guard your heart. This is, it's in red letters, right? He's the word of Jesus. I'm not making this up. Think about that statement. No one. No one. In logic, we call that a universal negative proposition. Take all the people that there are, None of them. That's what no one means, right? Take your head yes, if you, if, you, if you know that. No one means not a single one. No one can. No one can. Do you all remember the difference between can and may? All you homeschool moms taught this to your kids, right? Way back in grammar school, I'm not talking about being homeschooled by your grammar. I mean, those days when you learned the elementary principles of of language, you learned, if you had a sarcastic teacher like I did, you learned the hard way the difference between can and may. Mrs. McIntosh, can I go to the bathroom? Yes, I'm sure you can, but you may not. What's the difference? The first one is talking about ability. Do I have the ability? Can I go? Yes, I can go. May I? No, you may not. You don't have permission. Jesus here uses the word can. No one can. No one has the ability to do something. He's talking about everybody there is. Everybody there is lacks the ability to do something. What is it they lack? He says, they cannot come to me. Imagine if it stopped right there, if the sentence stopped right there. No one can come to me. No one has the ability to come to me. That would be very, very bad news. He's just said the only way for to have eternal life is to come to me, and now he's saying nobody can. Could stop there, it'd be very bad news. But it doesn't stop there. He gives a condition. Unless. Unless. Very important word in the Bible. Unless. Here's the exception to my statement. No one can come to me unless something happens. Unless what, Jesus unless it has been granted him from the Father. So the exception to having no ability to come to him is that the Father gives it to you. The Father grants it. It's the same thing he said in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. If you are a believer in Jesus today, if you have come to him, it's because the Father has granted that ability to you. And that ought to drive you the rest of your life to your knees in thanksgiving. And everybody wants to ask all kinds of questions about this, and it seems like we always avoid the most significant question, why me? Why did he grant it to me? I don't know. I don't know why he granted me the ability. I don't know why he granted it to you, but praise the Lord that he did. And we need to live our lives in gratitude that he allowed us to see, to respond to Jesus. So Jesus knew who they were who didn't believe, and he says, for this reason I've been telling you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted from the Father. And what is the response? Do they all say, oh, Father, please grant us the ability to come to Jesus? No. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. If that's the kind of stuff you're saying, Jesus, we're out. You're saying we need some work of God to be able to come to you? We're out. So Jesus turns to the 12, the 12 apostles. Says, "Are you guys out too? Is this too hard? Too much?" And everyone's waiting with suspense which one of the 12 is going to speak up in response? Yeah, and nobody's wondering that, right? Simon Peter answered, because that's what Simon Peter did. <laughs> I'm not gonna let a moment of silence go by without filling it. That was his emo. And Simon Peter says, No, Lord, no, 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 no. We don't want to go away either with, with with them. No, 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 no. Don't you know? We we love you, we worship you, we we Yeah, that's somebody said. He said Lord, to, to, Lord to, to whom shall we go? Um, you have words of eternal life. I'd love to know exactly what his tone was. I would love to think it was this bold declaration of faith, but it sure doesn't sound like that, and Jesus' response doesn't lend us to think that It's almost like this, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't really like it either, but you're sort of our last resort. <laughs> you're, you're like the only option. Where else are we going to go? So we're we're sort of stuck with you, because <laughs> we would like to have eternal life, and we are convinced that you can give it. So where can we go? <laughs> what, regardless of his tone, he's right. We don't like everything Jesus says, sometimes. But he's the only one that can provide eternal life. Where else would we go? What religion are you going to seek? Oh, there are lots of religions that will make you feel good. There are lots of religions that will tell you what you want to hear. There is no other way to have life everlasting. So even in those times when we think, Lord, this is hard. I don't particularly care for this. We need to stick with Peter and the 11 and say, but I'm with you, Jesus, because you have the words of eternal life. No one else does. And Peter does say, we have believed and come to know that you Are the Holy One of God. If that is truly our belief, no matter how hard it gets, we're not wavering. If He's the Holy One of God, if He's it, then we're committed to the end because we want eternal life and He is the Messiah, He is the King. Jesus answers them and says, Did I myself not choose you? Don't get too high on your horse here, Peter. We've come to know that you're the Holy One of God. Remember how you got here, Peter. I chose you. I chose you before you chose me. And yet one of you is a devil. Even of the 12 that Jesus chose, one of them would not stick it out to the end. And John tells us he met Judas, of course, the son of Simon's Cariotte. He, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Jesus was not the kind of preacher that went around making people feel good. He said a lot of hard things. I mean, so much so, as we've already discussed today, this Palm Sunday, thousands are throwing down their cloaks, palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our king. This is our king lining the streets for miles as their king comes riding into Jerusalem. Great day. And then through the rest of the week, he keeps telling them I'm not going to deliver you from Caesar, I'm not going to make you rich and famous and powerful you all need a savior, you're not righteous, drives people out of the temple again, overturns the tables, runs everybody out of there. And a huge number of those people turn on him and just a few days later are saying, put that man to death. He was not a winsome preacher. He drove people away by the thousands there are a lot of people in this world that don't want to hear the truth. And we need to be careful as preachers. I don't mean just standing up here. I mean proclaiming the gospel to people. We need to always be careful that we tell them the true Jesus and not something they want to hear. We don't want to seduce people and trick people into the kingdom. We we don't want to bring them in because we're going to make them feel good. To preach the truth and pray the Father would grant them the ability to come. Always, forever and ever, amen, we preach Christ and only Christ and the real Christ, the Christ who says, you have to consume me, you have to draw into me, you have to completely be satisfied by me or else you can't be in the kingdom. That's the Christ we preach. That's the Christ we proclaim. That's the Christ we believe in. And if so, we have eternal life, and others will as well. So as we seek to fill the city, as we seek to bring more people in, as we seek to build each other up, make sure we are proclaiming the one true Jesus. In him is eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in this room right now, we have no one who is saying, I'm out. These are hard words. We don't, we don't like to hear some of them. Even if our mind says, yes, it's in black and white, as plans as can be, that's what is true, part of our hearts says, oh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this. Lord Jesus, keep us by your spirit committed to the one who gives eternal life. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not come to Jesus, would you grant them right now, right now, the ability, the desire to come to him, to call upon his name, to receive forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. Father, you have the power to do that. Your spirit gives life. Would he give life today? And for all of us, may we boldly proclaim the true Christ. In whose name I pray, amen.